that's the bullseye. That's the goal. That's what a touchdown looks like at Two Cities Church, changed and transformed lives by Jesus. If you want to know what we hope our church feels like, all right, we're in a new building. What do we want this building to feel like? What do we want this church to feel like? The answer is new beginnings. The answer is second chances. The answer is we want this church to be a church where your life could fall apart and be put back together. We want this to be a church where prodigals can come home. What you just saw is a story about a dad with a lost son. You ever lose anything? You ever lose your phone? The anxiety of losing your phone nowadays, right? Women, you ever lose the back of an earring? Parent, you ever lose your mind, right? We've all done that. Look, it's one thing to lose something. We can kind of laugh about it, you know, lose a cup, whatever. Have you ever been lost? Now, if you're under 40 years old, the answer is probably no. You're like, oh, no, I have, a, I have a computer with a GPS in my back pocket. Well, many, many years ago, back in 2006, okay, before the iPhone, you could get lost, especially if maybe you were a dad who had a little bit of an ego and you weren't going to ask for directions. You knew exactly where you were going until you didn't, right? And the thing about getting lost or being lost is it's often, not always, but by the time you realize you're lost, it's too late. Because when you realize you're lost, you have all these emotions, and right, you were lost long before you realized you were lost. But all of a sudden, you realize, I'm lost, and you realize two things. I don't know where I am, and I don't know where I need to even go, and I don't even know how to get there. Well, the Bible talks about lostness as a spiritual state. And it often shows up in uh, people being aimless. Well, that's this generation. And anxious. Oh, that's this generation. And addicted. Oh, so the signs and the symptoms of being lost, because by the way, and you'll see this if I'm going to show you today, most people don't know they're lost. Certain things have to happen in a person's life for them to go, I am lost. But the signs and the symptoms are there for us all to see. We live in an addicted, anxious, and aimless generation. Turn to Luke 15. I, wanna, I want us to look at the most famous parable Jesus ever told. I waited until today. We didn't know exactly when we were going to be in this building, but we knew we were going to be in the parable series, and I was like, no matter what, we're preaching Luke 15 in the new building because you need to hear this. Not your neighbor, not your wife, not your spouse, not your kids, not your ex, okay? You need to hear this message today, and this message tells us that there are two ways to be lost and only one way home to God. What I want you to understand is that God re uh, reveals himself, and you'll see this today, and it's going to make some of you feel uncomfortable. God reveals himself as a dad in the Bible. It's the primary way in the New Testament God reveals himself. And he's a dad looking for his lost sons and daughters. And that makes us uncomfortable because many people do not have a good relationship with their dad. You want to have an awkward conversation with someone, go ask the next time you have a waitress. Go, how's your relationship with your dad? Awkward. Why is there so much atheism today, right? We know why there's a lot of atheism. Because there's no dads around. And people, listen, how you view God is a reflection of how you view your dad. So a lot of people go, God doesn't exist. No, your dad wasn't around. That's different. Or people go, yeah, God, he exists, but like he kind of wound up the universe and he's uninvolved. No, your dad was uninvolved. And he paid for everything. And so now you're a deist. 
I want you to understand that how you view your dad is going to be a reflection or rejection and affect how you view God in heaven. God is a father who searches and seeks after the lost. But you have to understand that there's two ways to be lost. I'll show you this here. Let's go to the text. Uh, this is Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, you know those people, right? The sinners, and they know they're sinners. Look, they were drawing near to hear him. Who's him? Him's Jesus. Okay, people who were not like Jesus liked Jesus. Let me say that again. People who were not like Jesus liked Jesus. I mean, when, when you say sinner, think of the worst person, okay? For you, it's going to be those people, right? Those people who go live an alternative lifestyle in Asheville. Those people who drive their Subarus, right? No offense <laughs> if you drove. We, we've got a few Subarus on staff. Um, you know, those people who hang out on Trade Street, right? We know, we, know that, we know them, right? They're progressive. Well, there's the rebellious people, and they're easy to spot, and they know it. You know, if they could be honest, they kind of know it. Maybe most times they're a little proud of it. They're a little rebellious. We'll meet them today. They're a little bold. But they've got these other people. Look at them. And this is, I mean, many of you are here, okay? Look, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled because they're religious, and this is what religious people do. They grumble. They get angry, saying, this man, that's Jesus, he receives sinners and eats with them. So we're introduced to two groups of people. We're introduced to the rebellious, that's the sinners and the tax collectors, and we're introduced to the religious, that's the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the religious people of the day, just like today, they grumble and they think they're better than everybody else. These, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, listen, they were conservative, they were good moral people, they were religious, they believed that what you needed to do in life was believe in God and be a good person. And here's the thing. The rebellious people, they don't like the religious people. And the religious people, they don't like the rebellious people, right? The religious people, they have their shirts tucked in. They're eating a Cracker Barrel. They're like, ah! <laughs> All these rebellious people, right? Here's what the thing is. We tend, both groups, and by the way, you have, you're both rebellious, depending on how long you've lived and how much you've experienced, you will find in your heart both rebellion and religion. Okay? So why do, think about this for a second. Why, sometimes you'll meet a very religious family which has a lot of rules and no relationship. Lots of laws and no love. Have you met this family? Maybe you grew up in this family. The religious family, here's what, the, here's what you'll notice about the religious family. The kids in the religious family always rebel. You're like, what happened? They had, you know, they homeschooled and they had like 14 kids and they knitted their own clothes. You know, and you know, their, their son's addicted to cocaine. What's going on? It's like, we know what happened. They, they, the kid goes, religion's not the answer and I need to get as far away from religion as possible. And he or she thinks rebellion's the answer. See, rebellious people look down on religious people. So you have to know that there's a lot of people who they put us in the category of, re of religious, and they look down on us. <clears throat> and they would say something. The rebellious people always say something like this uh, to the religious people. Oh, man, you're just primitive, and you're archaic, and you're small-minded, and honestly, you're boring. That's what rebellious people think about religious people. And religious people think about rebellious people, well, we're better than you. 
We don't have the struggles. Look how much your life has fallen apart. See, religious people think their sin is self-righteousness. Rebellious people, it's unrighteousness. But here's the interesting thing about religious people. Religious people often wish they could be bad. They're just too afraid to be bad. Nietzsche said that. Nietzsche said most men think they're good. They're not. They're afraid to be bad. They're not good. They're cowards. That's not the same thing. Okay, so you have to understand this. There's two groups of people, the religious and the rebellious. If you don't, I'm, why am I spending so much time talking about this? Because if you don't understand the audience, you can't understand the aim of the parable. Okay, let's get there. So look at me at verse 11. We're going to drop down to the parable. And he said there was a man who had two sons. This is a simple story, guys. Very simple. I went to public high school, so I have to keep myself things very simple for myself, okay? Um, there is, there's one dad, there's two sons. The two sons are very different. Now, every dad knows this, every mom knows this, every sibling knows this. You ever, you're like, how could two kids who grew up in the exact same home with the exact same parents be so different, Right? In fact, let me just say this too, by the way. One of these sons is going to be a prodigal, and some of you are brokenhearted over your prodigal sons or your prodigal daughters. Let me tell you why we have prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Because God has given us a free will and a sinful nature. And we, what you, some of you need to hear this word. You have, I mean, you're going to see the best dad in the story who has the worst sons, and we don't, especially the one son. And so here's what I want you to know. When you read about these two sons, you are one or both of them. I am one or both of them. Here's a good way. This is hermeneutics is a big fancy word for how to read the Bible. Here's the best way to read the Bible. When somebody is doing something selfish, sinful, or stupid, that's you. Or me. That's you in the story. You are not the dad in the story. God is the dad in the story. And this is really good news. Here's why this is good news. Because you can't handle, it's why some of you are anxious and depressed and lonely and everything else, is you cannot handle being the main person in the story of your life. Some of you, you're so discouraged and you're so depressed about what's going on in your life because you think you're the main character. You're like, the main character doesn't get sick. It's like, you're not the main character. You're like, the main character isn't single in her 30s. You're not the main character in the story, and it's actually unbelievably free. So we got this great dad. He's a giver and a forgiver, okay? He's got these two rebellious sons, just like you and I. One's rebellious, one's religious. The older son is religious, the younger son is rebellious. Let me show you the story. Here's what happens. You got this great dad. He's also wealthy, he's generous. Look here. And the younger of them, the younger of the sons, so some of you, this is you, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Here's what he's doing. He's giving his dad half a peace sign. Some of you will get that on the way home. You're like, a, ooh. That's not a good thing, okay? <clears throat> and he divided his property between them. Okay, so you gotta understand this. This is so bold. By the way, this is how some of you sin. You, you sin boldly. It's kind of refreshing. If you've been around religious people, you get around a rebellious person, like, oh, thank God. You tell me the truth, you don't lie, you don't have a, you don't have a, you know, a private life and a public life and a work life and a home life and a travel life and a business. It's like, religious people have all of that. Religious people, right? everything's together on the outside, nothing, nothing, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Um, rebellious people are just bold. He goes to his dad, dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he basically says. And I want my inheritance now, which is a third of the property. He goes to his dad, imagine going to your dad, I don't know what kind of dad you had, okay? But if I said this to my dad, he would be doing prison ministry from the inside, okay? 
Is it, you go, Dad, I, I need you to sell the second home. I need you to liquidate the mutual funds. I need you to cast out the life insurance policy, and I'm leaving, okay? Here's what I want you to understand about sin. This is what all sin does. This is what you and I do every time we sin. We say this, God, I want you, or sorry, God, I don't want you, but I want your stuff. So the, the number one sin is idolatry in the Bible, which is to worship the creation over the creator. God, I want sex, but not you. Money, but not you. Uh, beauty, relationship, food, drink, oceans, beaches, mountains, not you. Sin always says that. But then sin always says this too, especially rebellion. God, I know better. You're a little prudish about your view on sex. And God, I don't think you understand how much fun getting drunk is. I think you're wrong about the whole one man, one woman, one lifetime. I actually think the hookup, shackup, breakup culture is good. I don't think I need to tell the truth. I think I can manipulate the world with lies. Oh, really? Every time you sin, you say to God, God, I actually know better than you. So here's what he does. He's got this, and let's look here. And the younger of them said, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided up his property between them. Look here. Okay, look at verse 13. Now many days later, sorry, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. And this is where some of you are right now. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So what, part of what this is doing is giving us an anatomy of sin. Here's what sin does. Sin takes us further than we want to go charges us more than we want to pay, and keeps us longer than we were planning on staying. Here's what I want you to know about sin. Sin is a journey, not a round trip. Do not believe, the, every time you're going to sin, you're going to go, this is a round trip. I'm going to do this, and it's going to be, have you ever told yourself this? This is going to be the last time. Let me just have a last time with the last times. Let me just do this one more time. And, and what happens is people think, I can, I'm in control. This is what, how it starts, because we don't understand that sin enslaves us. And sin hardens us and sin blinds us. And so we think, I'm in control, and you don't realize. It, you'll meet people. You'll meet people. I mean, there's many people like this who buy a fifth of liquor Monday through Saturday and then buy two-fifths on, on, on Saturday, sorry, Monday through Friday, buy, buy, buy a fifth of liquor, and then buy two so they can have one on the weekend. Nobody starts that way. Nobody's proud of it. And you'll meet people, I mean, believe me, You'll meet people in very dark places, and you do not want to meet these people. And the things that they're looking at and the things that they're doing, they're like, dude, you don't even want to know the kind of things I'm looking at online and how long I look at it. And, and then they have, to do, they have to do that thing of like, how did I get here? And the answer is always the same, one step at a time. That's the only way you get anywhere. Sin is a journey. Notice he goes away to sin. Everybody goes away to sin. Sometimes it's to Asheville, like I told you, to live an alternative lifestyle. Sometimes it's to Vegas, because what stays in Vegas, happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. A lot of people just go to their bedroom or to their basement or wait till the spouse and the kids are somewhere else. There's something inherently, in fact, we actually like to turn the lights out. People don't even like to watch themselves sin. So we go, we go away to sin, and the other thing is, do you notice he squanders everything he has? I don't know how much money his dad had. It says, look, verse 13, and he squandered his property in reckless living, and when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and they began to be in need. Listen, he's wasteful. What sin does is waste the very things God has given us. 
So here's the thing. Most people, I'm generalizing, but it's true. Most people who are stuck in rebellion, who are they? They're normally young. Here's why. Because rebellion is usually about independence and immediate instant gratification. And here's what people, people in our culture today, they do not realize they're going to be 45 years old one day. I promise you, it's like they think I might get the 30, but they never think about being 45. So they don't ever think about marriage. They don't think about their sexuality that way. They don't think about their money that way. They don't think about their time that way. They don't think about their body that way. They don't think about their health that way. And so, by the way, we're preparing as a church now, because there's a whole generation who's going to come to our church and other churches like ours in their 50s, and they're going to be so brokenhearted because they've been sold a bill of goods. And we're never going to say we told you so, okay? But what, what sin does is it waste our youth and our time and our energy. Well, thankfully, he begins to wake up. Look here. And when he spent everything, verse 14, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Listen, how does God get rebellious people's attention? Answer, pain. Gosh, I wish that wasn't the answer, right? You wanted me to say pleasure. I wish. Because the Bible does say every pleasure is from God. But most people, when they get a raise, they don't say, I should give my life to Christ. Right? Most people, when they got the house and the spouse, right, when everything's going well, we wish that they would go, I, am, I cannot believe how good God has been to me. And because of God's goodness toward me, I'm going to turn to him in repentance. Most people, it has to be pain. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures uh, speaks to us every day, but uses a megaphone in our pain. So here, here's the prayer, by the way. If you've got a prodigal, here's, you pray the Jonah prayer for them. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah's going away on a ship, and he ends up getting thrown off a ship. The, the Jonah prayer is, Lord, I've prayed this for some people. It's a scary prayer. Lord, destroy the ship they're running away from you on, but save the sinner. Now, he, he experiences four types of pain. Do you see the first thing? The first thing that it says is that he doesn't have any money left. See, the book of Proverbs says the man with money has lots of friends, because he does. Because, hey, I'll buy you this and come with me, and I got tickets to that, and let's go here, and I got the country club membership, and I got the boat, and all that. Great. And then his, all his money goes away, so he has no friends. Guys, I'm just telling you, God will often use financial stress. I knew a guy, he owned a business. He, he had a mental breakdown because his part, partner, you know how this stuff works, is now ex-partner, you know, in the business, did something. He, would, he, he had such a mental breakdown. He used to come home and run laps in a full suit around his neighborhood. Think about the mental place you have to be in to do that. Finances, right, are an enormous stressor on our lives. And maybe you spent too much or maybe you lost your job. And God often, by the way, God's, some of you, God is trying to get your attention. Sometimes it's financially. Secondly, sometimes it's through circumstances in our lives, right? That, that seem arbitrary, right? It's not his fault there's a famine. Now, it is his fault he spent all his money, okay? So here's what will happen in your life. You will do foolish, dumb, rebellious, sinful things. And then circumstances in your life that you had no control of will come over and amplify and accelerate your sinful decisions, a.k.a. COVID-19. How many of you got to meet yourself during COVID-19? You're like, I eat too much, I drink too much, I sleep too much, I'm angry at my kids, I'm a lazy worker, I'm scared. It's like, oh, well, the you know, suffering introduces a person to themselves. So all that COVID did was introduce you to you. The third type of pain that we see is that he's in hunger. Look here. 
It says this, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in the fields to feed pigs and longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Okay, so God will use physical trials, or sorry, financial trials. God will use circumstantial trials. The third one is physical trials. He's hungry. Like in the original language, it means like a state of being. He's not like hungry for a meal. Like he's hungry all the time. He's basically starving. God will often get our attention through physical pains that we don't like. Illness, injury, the diagnosis, the phone call from the doctor, you know, what, just what happens with aging, and God often gets our attention. The final one is relational pain. Did you see that? Did you see it said no one gave him anything? How sad. The last gift he got was from his dad. So he's in a dark place. He's got no friends. He's got no money. Now, the thing is, this, is, this would be a great moment for him to repent. But do you see what he does? Everything falls apart, but I want us to go back to verse 16. So he, it's, he's really, it's really gotten bad for him, but then verse 16 says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is the lowest point, okay? What he had done is he, he lost everything, and then he tries to get a new job. He's working with the pigs now. See, here's what will happen with people. Sometimes people will realize they're in need, and they will try to fix their problems themselves. Have you ever met this person? right, who thinks all they need, the problem in their life is they need more money, right? That's why they think rich people make twice what they make and everybody needs an extra 10,000. Have you ever met the girl or guy who always needs a new boyfriend and girlfriend? It's like, there she is again. Didn't she just break up with that guy like three weeks ago? Yeah, but she just met, you know, Jimmy. He's so nice. It's like, no, she's desperate. This is every Taylor Swift song ever, okay? It's like, okay, so we, we, we think what I need is more education, more money, a different boyfriend, a different girlfriend, a different spouse, or whatever it is. And so he tries to fix it himself, and he finally hits his lowest point where he's working with pigs. Now, I can't do it justice, because it's not a big deal in our society, on how horrible, when the readers would read this, or the hearers would hear Jesus tell this, that you have a Jewish boy working with an unclean animal, the pigs. This would be very similar if we said the biggest Duke fan was the water boy at the UNC game. Like, what? No! So this is like, this is a terrible environment. He's in the lowest of the lowest. It's so bad that he wants to eat the food of unclean animals. Okay, well, here's the moment, guys. Look here. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, and our hope here is that in this room and all over this city, in homes and places, that people would come to themselves, right? His, his, his heart is less hardened. His, his mind is open. He said, how many of my father's hired servants? Oh, he thinks about his dad have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. This is the first moment where he begins to realize the problem is inside of me, not outside of me. So you know what, often what happens is we tend to think that the problem is outside of us. The problem is my parents. The problem is my spouse. The problem is my boss. The problem is my job. The problem is whatever. And he, for the first time he realizes, wait, no, something's wrong with me. Look, he goes, I will arise, verse 18, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So this looks like a good sinner's prayer, we would say. Except look what the second part says. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So listen, I want you to understand this. This is, this is a profound understanding of the human condition. He goes from rebellion to religion in one verse. He, he goes from saying, I want to escape from the Father and I want to explore my own life, and I want to enjoy the sinful desires. He, he goes from that, 
he jumps all the way to, I want to earn my father's love back. You got to see this. This is key. He jumps over from rebellion to religion. He doesn't understand repentance and a relationship with God. Here, I'll show you. So he's like, I'm going to go home. He's actually working on his apology. Ever work on your apology? All right, when I get home, I'm going to say to the wife, and if she asks this, I'm going to say this. You ever work on your apology for your parents? Okay, I'm, I'm late, but when I get there, I'm going to tell them, and if they say, then I will. That's what he's doing. He's working on his apology. Okay, how can I say this so that death, and how can I be a servant, not a son? That's religion. And how can I pay him back? That's religion. Here's what he says. Okay. And he rose, and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. Look at this. We're back, at, we're back to dad's house. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father is the central character. The father is looking for the son. That's how he sees him. We don't know if the son's been gone for months. We don't know if the son's been gone for years. But it's amazing. I mean, this is going to make some of you uncomfortable with this view of God. That This is God expectantly looking and searching for his sons and his daughters. And he goes out every day to whatever part of the house it is, and he just looks and looks and looks. And the, the next thing that's interesting is it says he felt compassion. Confa- compassion is basically this. I feel sorry for you because what sin has done to you. A religious person, by the way, doesn't feel that. A religious person th- says, well, that's what you get for doing that, right? That's what a religious person says. A religious person says, oh, good. I'm actually, the dark part of me is glad that happened to you. A religious person thinks they would never get in a situation like that. The father has compassion, and he, when he sees the pain of his son, it says that he ran to him. Now, Today, men run, women run. That's kind of normal. Back then, men didn't run. Slaves ran, women ran, children ran. Men don't run because they would wear these big tunics, and so they would have to, you know, hack up their tunic to run, which meant you would have to see their thigh. And one thing we can all agree on, whether we're religious or rebellious in here, you should never see a man's thigh ever in public, right? Amen? Men should never wear short shorts. We have a verse for this. Okay. Um, so the whole idea is that, that the man, the father is embarrassing himself, okay? Literally, technically, he's shaming himself. Now, there's tradition that said if the son came home after rebellion, he could be stoned. So some commentators think the father is running toward him because he has to get, what a picture of the gospel, he has to get to him before there's judgment. And then he embraces him, and this makes some of us feel very uncomfortable, right? Because maybe you didn't have an affectionate dad. And it says, literally, he hugs him and covers him with kisses. Dads, you need to be so affectionate with your kids, especially even as they get older. I don't care how old they are, you just kiss them, okay? And when they say, I don't like that, they mean, please do that more. That's what they mean, okay? (laughs) That's really what they mean when they say that. Do you, here's, here's the uncomfortable question. Do you know the kiss of the father? We're not at, sorry, the question was not, have you been to church? The question is not, are you a good person and not a bad person, you know? The question isn't, did you pray a prayer? The question is, do you know the affectionate, emotional, uncomfortable, dare I say, nature of God toward you? It's so unbelievable that, look, look, the son's trying to apologize, right? He can't even get through it. Look at verse 21. 
And the son said to him, Father, I mean, imagine this. He's not expecting to be embraced like this. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he can't even get through it. Because what the father's going to say is, you can't pay me back, that's religion. I'm going to bring you back, that's grace and mercy. And he says, in fact, look, he's going to give him gifts. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So here's what you need. When a person comes to Christ, especially out of rebellion, they need forgiveness and healing. We've talked a lot in the church about forgiveness, a lot about forgiveness. We've talked very little about healing, or maybe some of you don't like that word, restoration. So what's happened here is he says, bring the robe. Now, the guy's going to be, I mean, the sun smells and stinks and is mostly naked. And he says, bring the best robe. Whose robe is the best robe? The father's robe is the best robe. And then he says, bring the ring. Ring? Do you know what the ring? The ring was the the symbol of the family authority and therefore of the bank account, it was the way you paid. It was the Apple Pay. Put them back on the Apple Pay account. Yeah, it's like, what? And then shoes, I mean, guys, how, how bad did his life get? I mean, have you ever thought, how bad would my life have to get that I sell my last pair of shoes? Because he had shoes when he left and he doesn't have shoes when he comes back. It's like, dude, what low point does someone get to to where they sell their final pair of shoes and walk back barefoot. We want to be a place here where there is both forgiveness and healing. People need help, hope, and healing when they come to Christ. Well, he's completely overwhelmed, and then it doesn't end there. By the way, it's easy, especially if he was a religious father, guess what? He'd be embarrassed by his son. That's what a religious father is. A religious father, have you ever met somebody who's religious and their kid rebels? They can't even talk about it. They can't, we, had, we had someone in our church who took them six months to tell us something was wrong with their daughter. Because it's like, dude, no, my life has got to be put together and therefore my kids have got to be put together and if anybody finds out what he or she did and it will be it put a huge stain on our family. So the father goes, forget all that. I'm throwing a party. I'm welcoming everyone back. We're celebrating that he's no longer in open rebellion, but back as part of the family. We're going to celebrate that. So he throws this huge party. Look here. He says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. In other words, here's what God was saying, because the Father represents God. I've been waiting for you. I've been expecting you. I've been fattening this calf for months or maybe years, ready to slaughter it the moment you came home. By the way, if you're new, that's all we want to communicate to you. You're like, why do they have, you know, name tags? And why do they welcome us at the door? And why are people parking? And why are they walking us to our seat? It's called organizational hospitality. And it's communicating one thing. We were expecting you, and so was God. That's all we want to communicate. We were expecting you, so here's a place to park, and here's a place to seat, and here's something to do. Because we were expecting you, because God's expecting you. That's all we want to communicate. So he's got this fattened calf. He says, I've been waiting for you. Then look here. He said, let's eat and celebrate for this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We will, and we are a church that celebrates, and we will celebrate any step someone takes, no matter how small, toward Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate. It's like, that is a small step, but we're going to celebrate it. And when somebody, you don't want to miss baptism weekends here. 
okay? When we do baptisms, like, we're gonna celebrate it. And sometimes we're so excited, we're like, we're shooting a video about it, right? And every once in a while, like, parents will get up here about once a year, and they're like, here, we all had kids this year, and we're gonna try to follow them, and, you know, it's like, great. We're, we're gonna try to, like, you know, model the Lord before them and, you know, be commissioned. It's like, great, we're gonna celebrate that. And every once in a while, we bring somebody up, and, like, we'll do it at the end of this service. Like, hey, this person's going on a mission trip or a mission whatever, and it's the first time or what, and we're gonna celebrate it. Now, the problem is, not everybody likes to celebrate. Religious people don't like to celebrate. Look at verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. Okay, I'm just telling you guys. I mean, what, what, I'm not thinking of any one person. 100% this is some of you. Because the, the truth is, rebellious people are less likely to come to church. Because they're like, ah, I don't want that, you know, whatever. I'm going to go home and, you know, get drunk and break commandments. Okay, it's okay, okay, okay. You're rebellious and you know it, and I, and I actually respect it. The forthright nature. Religious people, they just, they come to church and they know the language and they know how to do the external thing and they know how to look good and sound good and they know the right, they know how to say they're praying about things when they're not. They know how to talk about they're struggling with things when they're not. And so let me, let me show you this. It says the older son is working in the field. Why? Because here's, here's, what, here's what religious people do. They love to do things for God but not be with God. That's exactly what a religious person does. They like to, they're very, very busy about, by the way, you're gonna see, this is the key. He's outside the house, not inside the house. He's working for the Father, no relationship with the Father. This is the religious spirit, okay? So he's religious. Now look, his father, or uh, sorry, verse uh, 25. And as he came, he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. What do religious people hate? Music and dancing and anyone having fun anywhere, Right? You ever hear the thing that they said the Baptists back in the day? They didn't want you to have sex, even if you were married, because they thought it might lead to dancing. That's what they were afraid of, okay? <laughs> um, religious people cannot handle when, when other people are having a good time. So he's angry. Now, this is so interesting. The older brother, right? His sin, like all religious people, is much more subtle. Let's see it. So here he is. And he called one of the servants. Why didn't he call his dad? Because he has no relationship with his dad. That's the religious heart. And he asked what these things meant. And he said, the servant said, your brother's come. And your father has killed a fattened calf. Because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. I heard a story one time about a dad. And he told, he read this, you know, he's got young kids. And he reads this parable to his kids. And he's trying to teach them the lessons that we're talking about today. And he says, guys, who is the most upset when the prodigal son comes home? And the little boy raises his hand. He goes, the fattened calf? <laughs> yeah, okay, after him, yes. It's not going to go well for him. After him, who's the most upset? The older brother. Look here. It says, he was angry and he refused to go in. And so here's the key, guys. Please don't miss dad is the main character in the story. Okay, and we live in a culture that doesn't respect dad, right? Dad's always the dumbest person in the sitcom and the dog saves the day. That's the world we live in. Dad is the hero in this story. So he comes out and he, remember how he pursued his re rebelliously lost son? He looks, he looks out for him and the moment the son's ready to turn, which is the word for repentance, he's ready to welcome him home. Then, here's what happens. He, though the son wants no relationship with the father, the father leaves the party. 
Maybe it's because I'm an extrovert, but I never want to leave a party. This is a great party. He's hosting it. He's paying. Like, I'm paying for everything. He leaves the party to go to one guy, his older son, and here's what he says. His father came out and entreated him. But he said to his father, and you can tell this in the original language, he says, look, basically, it's a derogatory, I don't even address you as dad. I just talk to you directly. He says, look. And then he says, this This is exactly, this is, the. here's the words of a religious person. I did, I did, I did, but I didn't get. Let me show you. This This is what religious people do. These many years I served you, and I never disobeyed your command. He's just saying, I'm a virgin, dad. You know, I, he spent all your money. I, I, I give 10% and I save 10% like a good religious person would. I do, 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 but I didn't get. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, look at this, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. All right, full stop. There is no mention in the story of prostitution. This is exactly what religious people do. They fantasize about what they think the rebellious people in their lives are doing, which is actually more of a reflection of what they would do if they rebelled. And religious people always have that one sin that's so much worse than all the other sins, the sin that they would never commit, and this here is the sin of, I guess, being with a prostitute. And so he says, Dad, I I did, I did, I did, but I didn't get. This is the sin of self-righteousness, okay? We've all struggled with it, okay? If you've ever been upset that something didn't happen in your life or God didn't answer one of your prayers you usually have a religious mindset. It's normally like, like, Lord, I don't, I mean, we were in church and we tithed. I mean, I thought, I I never articulated it, but here's the deal. I don't get cancer. That's the deal. Religious people like to keep God close. Here's the thing I want you to understand. The older brother and the younger brother are the same. They both want God's stuff and not God. The rebellious person does it by being very bad. The religious person does it by being very good. So the father, look at this. The father says, and he said to him, son, which is in the Greek, the original language, is the word technon. It's a word that hasn't been used yet when talking about the sons. It's the word little boy. But it's not not demeaning. You know, I mean, it's like, it's what you could, it's what one older man could only say to another man who's older if he was his dad. It's like, boy, you grew up with me, you played baseball together, I coached your teams, I was at every event, I love you, everything that is mine is yours. Here's, look what he says. He says here, and he said, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting, literally necessary and needed to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother is dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He's looking at his son, and he's looking at the rebellious people, sorry, the religious people. This is what this means. This is for the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's saying, the father would like you to come into the party. And you're on the, so so hear, hear this. The rebellious person leaves the house, goes far away. So it's clear they're not around. 
The religious person is around the house but stays outside and never comes inside. And God is saying to both the rebellious person and the religious person, it's time to come home. In fact, the way, I, I mean, the parable's over. I finished it. Verse 32 is the end of the parable. And Jesus will often do this. This is why we call it the serious plot twist. It ends with a, a shock. It ends with a cliffhanger. You're like, what? Here's what you're supposed to ask. You're supposed, if you're reading it for the first time, you're supposed to go, is he come to the party or not? The dad invited him. Is he going to stay outside or is he going to enjoy forgiveness himself, extend forgiveness to his brother and be part of the family again? Here's what Jesus does in this parable and he's been doing this throughout this whole series. Jesus challenges and for some of you changes how you view God and how you view yourself. When you become a Christian or even begin to become awakened to Christianity, you have to do, this has to happen. At least two things have to happen. You have to view God differently and you have to view yourself differently. So today what happens is most people view God as a force. And Jesus tells us, no, God has a face and God is a father and at the very center of our faith is a father. And then he has to tell us something else that we need to learn. And we need to learn this as a church, guys. We need to learn that there's two ways to be bad. There's two ways to rebel and run. One's by being rebellious and one's by being religious. There's two ways to be lost, but there's only one way home. The way home for both of them was the same. Here's the way home. Come home to your father. Repent of your self-righteousness, religious person. Repent of your unrighteousness, you know, rebel, uh, rebellious person, and come home. See, here's what's so interesting about the story. The story that I just read you, the parable of the prodigal son, which I like to call the parable of the compassionate father with two lost sons. That's what it really is. It's nested within three, it's the last of three parables. I didn't have time to go through the other two, but listen real quick. The first parable is a parable about a, a shepherd who loses one of his sheep. And he says, dude, I lost this one sheep, but I've got 99, but I'm gonna leave the 99 and go after the one. And he goes after the one and he finds it and he brings him back. End of parable, he rejoices, everyone's happy. Second parable, not one out of 100, but a woman's got one out of 10 coins. So we move from sheep to silver. And she goes and she finds the one coin and she rejoices and she lost 10%, not, not just 1% of what she had. And she calls everybody to rejoice. And then the third parable, it's kind of the same, except we move from sheep and silver to a son. We move from one in 100 to one in 10 to one in two, right? So it's kind of, you see what's happening here. But there's, and at the end, everybody celebrates, except for the older brother. But here's what's interesting. There's one thing that's different about this parable. No one goes looking for the son. It's like, what's wrong with this parable? You look for coins and, and, you, and you look for sheep and you don't look for a son? Here's why, because biblically and culturally, there was one person in the story who was supposed to go looking, the older brother. The great sin of religious people is their indifference and apathy to all of those hurting all over the world. So we have to be a church. We realize, look, across your life, you're definitely both rebellious and religious, okay? Some of you are very religious in front of people and very rebellious in your personal life, okay? We're both, we're going to reach both. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus changes how we should view him because the gospel story tells us Jesus is the greater older brother. What do I mean? He's the greater older brother who went looking for us. Do you know the other reason the brother was so mad when the younger brother comes back? Because when he gets the ring and is reinstated in the family, the two-thirds of inheritance gets split again at his dad's death. So it's going to cost him, and he's going to have to sacrifice 
personally to bring the younger brother back. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did at the cross. He didn't just pull up the tunic and run. He was stripped naked and he hung on a cross for your sin and for mine. If you're at the cross of Christ, how can you look at the cross of Christ and either be religious or rebellious? The goal is to be repentant. Guys, I want to invite you on our first service to come home. It's always a good time to come home. There's nothing like coming home. Whether you are rebellious and you are in a far country, the word to you is turn around. That's it. Come to yourself. Turn around. We'll see you from a long way. God sees you. He's eager to forgive you. And the word to the religious is come inside. Do you know that I got a phone call a couple years ago from a 70-year-old in our church calling me? He says, Pastor Kyle, I'm calling you because I got to get baptized. I said, what? He says, I'm religiously lost. And I just realized it. I thought, oh, my God. Somebody in their 70s can be in church, but not in Christ. I want you to come home. We're gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song about God the Father. Donovan's going to sing it over you, and I just want you to meditate on how God, how good God has been to you in Christ. This, this, this song was written about the parable I just preached. And the author was so amazed at the kind of father that we had that he said, you know what, I'm going to sing a whole song about this, and I'm going to call it What My Father Is Like. And he just asked the question, what type of father would? And I want you to just meditate on God as your father, and what he wants from you is to be sons and daughters, not servants. He wants you to come home, and we want this church to be a home and hub for the rebellious and the religious to come in, be engrafted into our church, and sent out into the world. Let's pray. Lord, would you do it? There's a miracle when we see a rebellious person who's stuck in their rebellion be woken up and radically come to Christ, and we love those stories, but it's just as miraculous when a hard-hearted, religious do-gooder who thinks that somehow their good deeds and religious activity will save them. Lord, I pray that as we sing this this song, as Donovan sings it over us and we remain seated, we would think, what kind of God do we have and what kind of response does it demand of us? We pray all this in Jesus' name.